indeed, he has overwhelmed the grave, and he is risen again that we too may share in his great love. What a great and powerful truth that we've sung. I hope and pray that you're enjoying singing the gospel. Now we run to the first John letter. We are at our next to the last sermon. And if you don't have a sermon outline, you just lift your hand and these gentlemen will be glad to give one to you. If you are new to us, we study the Bible. In fact, I would just say this. This morning as we look at these passages, there are several passages in our sermon outline. Why do we do that? We do that because God's Word is the most important thing that you could hear. God's Word and its basic explanation is what ministers to our hearts. It's God's Word that brings us life. In fact, on all of the pew pens, if you were to pick up a pew pen and look at it, there is a little tiny verse that, that's there, and it says, Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. It is God's word that revives us. That's why we study the word of God. And um, I just want to say that the best commentary on, on the Bible is the Bible. The best explan explanation of the Bible is the Bible itself. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to see one passage of, of scripture and seek to explain that passage of scripture through other passages of scripture. And I believe that you will be encouraged and helped by that. This is, even though we're doing our continued series in 1 John, this is a Palm Sunday message. And I want you to recognize this. At the end of the message today, there is one longer passage of Scripture that we're going to read that includes the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem where they brought palm branches and they laid those palm branches down and they were hailing him as king. And we'll see that in just a few moments, but, um, and that will become really the climax of the message as we read that passage and see how it ex helps explain this passage of 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. Now, if you're new to us today, we want you to know that we've been studying 1 John chapter 5. This is message 32. Um, that's basically about 30 hours of preaching. Um, on this message, uh, uh, on this letter of the book of John. Um, that's about 500 hours of study and preparation for the pastors as we've been getting ready for these messages. So this is, this is, worthy, this is worth our time. Notice here, at the end in chapter 5, let's review for just a moment. Notice my title that is there next to where it says review. Um, John assures true believers. Circle the word assures. John assures true believers. He is wanting to build them up and cause them to be assured. That's what he's doing in this. And in verse 13, we studied a few weeks ago that true believers can know that they have eternal life. True believers can know that they have eternal life. Fill that in. Um, by this, these things have been written to you who believe that you may know that you have eternal life. Look at verse 15. True believers can know that God hears them. Fill that in. True believers can know that God hears them. And not only does he hear them, but also we see in verse 15, true believers can know that God answers their prayers. He answers their prayer. And then in verse 18, we studied last week. True believers can know that God has delivered them from sin and Satan. God has delivered them from sin and Satan. How beautiful did we see that last week, that he gives us the security of our salvation in Christ, that we're no longer under Satan's grip. But in verse 19, that's where we are today. So put a circle around that verse 19 right there and just recognize this. True believers can know whose kingdom they are in. True believers can know whose kingdom they're in. Well, next Sunday, we'll be looking at verse 20. And as we look at verse 20, we'll be seeing on Easter Sunday, the final message from 1 John. True believers, and we're going to see 
what true believers can know. And so this is a, a great time. In fact, um, our Easter Sunday message, as true believers can know who Christ is, is going to be a great message for Easter Sunday. I look forward to that. Let's notice the box in the top of the page. And uh, if you would, circle each one of those that I've bolded where it says, we know, we know, we know, we may know. Because this is encouraging to us. God wants you to know some key things about your relationship to him. I, I, often, think, I, I often experience um, conversations with Christians where they're not very sure of maybe their relationship with the Lord or how God is dealing with them. And I want to just say to you, 1 John can help you. 1 John can help you evaluate whether or not you're a Christian. 1 John can come and assure you as, you as you come to what it says and come to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ for all who believe in Christ as the hope of our salvation. It can come and it can assure us of grand and glorious things. And so this morning, I commend this to you. Look at verse 18 with me in the box of the page. This is what we studied last few weeks, um, over the last few weeks. In verse 18, it says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. You know, some of you have said those messages where we were unpacking that statement bothered me. Some of you have said, those messages as we were unpacking that statement have actually helped me to start evaluating, am I ruled by sin or am I ruled by Christ? That's a good thing for Christians to ask and evaluate. We live in a world that's ruled by sin. We're going to see that in the text today. But are we ruled? By sin. Look what it says in verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him. Speaking of Jesus, protects him, those who have been saved. The evil one does not, and the evil one does not touch him. Now, verse 19, I've underlined it. This is our focus today. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's very similar to what Mike was just praying. That we look at the world and it seems evident, whether it's right here in town, in Hollywood, in Miami, in Fort Lauderdale, in the state of Florida, or across the nation, or around the world, we see that the evil one and his values are at work. We see that the image of God, we see that the plan of God, we see that the love of God is what the Christian message is, but we see a tremendous amount of rejection of that. When we see train stations with people trying to escape being hit with missile explosives and 50 people being vaporized or mutilated in an instant, we can see very quickly that we live in an evil, evil world. Look at verse 20 with me. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So verse 20 and 21 will be our focus next Sunday. But let's look at verse 19. Let's look at verse 19. And I want you to notice that 19, and just kind of notice the screen in front of you for a moment. It starts off with another one of those we know statements. We know that we are from God. But notice that we can highlight it in two different ways. First of all, there's the first part of the verse, first part of the thought. And let's read the yellow words out loud. What does it say? We know that we are from God. So that's the first part that we'll, that we'll see. And then we see the second part of the verse. Let's read the yellow words again. 
and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So we see the juxtaposition between those who are in God and those who are under the control of the devil. We see that this, this verse is showing that there are some who are with God and there are some who are with the devil. And we see this very clearly, the evil one. Now, so notice, there are two very different kingdoms in the world. That's the first thing that we want to recognize in this verse. There's two very different kingdoms. There's the realm. A realm has to do with a, a, a place of, of, of where a kingdom reigns. There's the realm of God, and there's the realm of Satan. There's the realm of God, and there's the realm of Satan. And I want us to recognize as well, you may want to make a note off to the side, that there is not a legitimate rivalry between these two. It's not like these are anywhere close in their power. Um, one is no match for the other. But there is a purpose that God has for this. And we're going we're to unpack that a little bit in just a minute. But I want us to see, in fact, Jesus' own words about those who are not part of the kingdom of God. And we see it in John chapter 8 in verse 39 through 47. And notice this. I've put in brackets there above the text so you can see what this, this text is about. Jesus confronts the Jewish religious establishment. He's confronting that. And so they come to him and they ask him some questions. They come to him and they are, they are disagreeing with some things that he says. And then he explains to them. You know, it's kind of like a thing of sometimes when you say, did you have to explain it to him? He's explaining it to them. Uh, I want you to see this here in verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children... You would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality we have one Father, even God. So this is perhaps even a dig at Jesus' birth. This is a, you, know, you remember that he's born of a virgin. He's born of a woman that's not even married yet. And we, we, we see that whether it's speaking of that or whether it's speaking of the, the sin trait that is, that is there in, in so many around, they are saying that we, we are born in righteousness. But look what Jesus says in verse 42, and I've underlined it. Jesus said to them, if you, excuse me, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. So we see the beautiful picture within the Trinity, God the Father sends God the Son to purchase his people for him. Look at verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot Bear to hear my word. Here it is, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your, your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Look at verse 45. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Verse 47, let's read it out loud together. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, I want you to see this in light of our main text, in light of our verse 19. Look at verse 19 up at the top of the page. We know that we are from God. So there are some who are from God, and Jesus is making very clear that there are some who are not from God. 
In James chapter 4, down at the bottom of the line, down at the bottom of your first pages, James is confronting the church in its ungodliness at one point, and he says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? That's, That's hatred with God. Look what it says at the next line. Therefore, whoever whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So there's two different kingdoms. These kingdoms have advocates and these kingdoms have enemies. And so we're, we're seeing that very clearly. Again, our main text is at the top of the page in the box, just reduced a little bit. In verse 19 it says, we know that we are from God. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I want you to notice here on page two that true believers are from God and not of the world. True believers are from God and not of the world. Philippians chapter three is where the Apostle Paul is declaring the different kingdoms. And a lot of these are going to overlap a little bit this morning, but we'll notice and pick out some key things for us to recognize. Look with me in verse chapter 3 of Philippians in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, underline it, Walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So this is a warning to a church, the church at Philippi. And he's saying, watch out, because some who seemingly were with us now walk as enemies of Christ. Look at verse 19. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on what? earthly things. They're not thinking about eternity. They're not thinking about the big picture. They're not thinking about heaven. Look at verse 20, and let's read it out loud together. But here's here's the grand difference between those folks and those who are true believers. Look at verse 20. Let's read it. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So notice that he's saying, We're not citizens of this world. We're not citizens of these places and of these times. What he's saying is, we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And we await Christ. Look at verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Indeed, this is the grand kingdom of God. And the citizenship that God's people embrace. Look at John chapter 15 and verse 18 through 19. Jesus explains the world's rejection of his people. He's speaking to his disciples and he says to them in verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But look at this. But because you are what? Not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So look back at our box at the top of the page. We know that we are from God. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is saying is that there's people that are from God and there's people who are not from God. And how, does, how do we become his? We see that he chooses us in Christ through faith in Jesus Christ out of the world. So notice that true believers are from God and not of the world. And notice that Satan, I love this one, notice that Satan is on his leash. Notice that Satan is on his leash. Satan is not a legitimate rival to the king of the universe. Satan is indeed a created being that God in his infinite wisdom, sovereignty, and love has created, and we see that God is working out his purposes even through Satan. Notice that Satan is on his leash. Look what it says, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But I want you to notice this 
acknowledgement and this description of Satan and his leash a little bit. And there's many more passages that we could go to, but I find these two in Ephesians helpful. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You see, that's when you were not of God. Following in the course of this world, and look what it says, following the prince of the power of the air. That's the evil one. The spirit that, that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I want you to see this, that there's this whole group that as as our passage is describing, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one, we see that here. We see that there's a prince of the power of the air, and circle the word now. I've underlined it, but circle the word now. Because you know what? This is temporary. His rule, his reign in his realm is a temporary thing. It is not forever. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. And this is the, the very powerful passage of Scripture that talks about the whole armor of God. But notice this. We see again this temporary reign of the evil one. Look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the, here it is, the cosmic powers over, what does it say? This present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. What is this talking about? This is talking about the fact that there's a spiritual warfare going on around us. There's a spiritual battle that is happening over the world, and over the hearts of people. This is part of what C.S. Lewis would describe in the screw tape letters. This is part of what we see going on around certain figures in the Old Testament when there's a great battle going on in the heavenlies between uh, the, the works of God and the works of Satan. But let's remember here in the New Testament, we see that it is called this present darkness. Now, right below that, where it says this present darkness, put in parentheses there, temporary. I want you to see that this will not continue. I want you to see that this is for a time. This is for a moment. And it will not always be the case. And that God is working out his purposes for his glory and for his people's good. And he's even working in the midst of these evil things. So notice, and there's many other places where we could go that describe the end of Satan's rule and the end of Satan's work um, that eventually will take place. But notice the next one here. Notice that true believers can need to be assured and grow in knowledge and obedience as citizens in God's kingdom. And that's why John wrote what he wrote. We need to be assured of these things, and we need to grow in knowledge and obedience. Now, don't turn the page over. There's some things I want you to notice here. I know there's no more blanks on this side, but stay with me. Notice here that John writes, we know that we are from God. What he's seeking to do is to encourage those who are true believers and say, you're not of the devil, you're of God. Now, the whole world lies in his power. That's verse 19. We need to be assured that there's a difference and that we're in him. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 through 14 is so beautiful. And the Paul is encouraging the true church. Look what he says in verse 9. Um, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, notice, underline that where it says the knowledge of his will. And then it describes it further, it says, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. You see, Christians need to grow in the knowledge of God 
in the knowledge of his will. That is right for Christians to grow in that. If, if you simply think that you've come to faith in Jesus and there the journey ends because now you, you, you have been uh, saved by his grace, that your sins are forgiven, my friends, that's not the end of your journey. That is the beginning of your journey. And Christians are to go on and grow on in the Lord. Now, the reason that many, many Christians live in defeat is they're not going on and growing on in the knowledge of his word. You see, in order to grow in the knowledge of his word, you need to read it. You need to study it. You need to listen to it. I am so blessed when I come across people that are truly excited about God's Word, and they're growing in God's Word. And let me tell you, it's not just young people who found it and are students and are kind of in their, in their world right now. I mean, I met with um, people this week, young people this week, that um, just started hearing the right kinds of preaching and the right kinds of teaching. By God's grace, he led them to maybe Ken Ham to answer apologetics questions or to John MacArthur to hear the Bible explained, and then they kind of couldn't get enough. And they kept listening and watching and listening. Then they started reading more and more, and they started growing in the Word. And let me tell you, it's not just young people where that happens. I, I, we have numerous people in this room that in their 50s and in their 60s, the Lord Jesus came after them, called, him, called them to himself, and then they got addicted to listening to sound biblical preaching. Teresa, I'm looking at you, wherever you are up there behind the lights. Teresa's one of them. Many of you have gotten to know her, and she had done drugs for 45 years. How long was your drug habit? Hers was 45 years. And the Lord Jesus came and got her. And you know how he set her free, and you know how he put her on a totally different course? Was through the preaching of God's word. She got to where she would go to work, and while at work, she'd have the earbuds in, and she was listening to preaching. And then after work, what did she do with her evening? She was devoting it to the life-changing word of God, the word of God that would renew her and revive her. And now she's practically a walking concordance. I mean, you ask her, where is this in the Bible? Oh, that's over in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I mean, you know, she... Now, why? That didn't happen until she was midlife to upper midlife. Growing in the Lord. Many examples like this. So I want you to see in Colossians chapter 9, or chapter 1, verse 9, look what it says. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding that comes through his word, that comes through being with his people and teaching. Look at verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, right out there to the side in that open space, knowledge and obedience. Because that's what this is getting at. That Christians are called to grow in knowledge and obedience. That's where it's talking about walking. How are you walking? Are you walking in obedience? And then look what that is, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, and then underline that where it says, fully pleasing to him. You see, you can do that by the knowledge of his word and through the encouragement of his spirit, the strength of his spirit to obey. And then look what happens when we do that. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in what? The knowledge of God. And then verse 11, even further, being strengthened with all power. You see, that's power over porn. That's power over cocaine. That's power over anger. That's power over unforgiveness. That's power over laziness. That's power over disorganization. That's power over undisciplinedness. That's his power for obedience in all things. Look at this with me. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious not might. So that's how much might does he have? Infinite. And we get infinite power that he gives to us for all endurance and patience with joy. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And then look at verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness 
and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Don't dare turn it over yet. I want you to notice this. Notice in verse 13 and 14, it's describing salvation. But before that, there's the, there's the things that, that come after salvation. It's growing in knowledge of him. So what he's saying is, what, here's what he's saying. He's saying, go on and grow with the Lord. Go on and know the things of God because of what he's done in you. You see, he came and he saved you. He delivered you from darkness. So go on and act like it. Go on and learn about what he did. You know, see, it's not that you grow in knowledge and then be, in your discipline you start bearing fruit and all that and then eventually he saves you. That's not it at all. Here it says, he delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. So we are seeking to live like it. So that is one of the ways in which we know that we are of God is that we are assured and grow in knowledge and obedience as citizens. Flip the page. Safe to flip the page. Last page. Let's move quick. Look what it says. You see in verse 19 up there at the top, once again, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We've talked about these kingdoms. And I want you to consider God's present and coming kingdom. Because his kingdom is present, but it's also coming. And notice this first bullet point. God's kingdom is entered through redemption and forgiveness in Christ. Uh, right out there to the side, Colossians 1, we just read it, Colossians 1, 13 and 14, and I think it's on the screen in front of you right now, just look up at the screen, look what it says. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And how did, we, how did he do that? Through his son, which is, which is the one in which we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. So the way that we come into his kingdom is through Christ saving us. That's how we come into the kingdom. That's how we enter um, the kingdom. It's through Christ's death on the cross. And we're about to see that very powerful way. Notice the next bullet point. God's kingdom has come and it's coming more. His kingdom has already come but it's coming more. For those of you that were here um, for our study in worldviews in the Christian or biblical worldview, we talked about the already and the not yet. You see, in a way, for those who are Christians, you've already been saved. That is, you've been declared holy before God, past, present, and future. The forgiveness of God has been applied to your account, but yet it's not fully realized yet. You're fully saved from your sin, but you're still on your way to the moment when you will not sin anymore, when you're finally in his presence. And there will be no more sorrow, sickness, pain, and death. So we have the already of salvation in Christ, but the not yet in that we're not yet in heaven. All things have not been finished. And that's how it is. Christ came. He died on the cross for our sins. So his kingdom has come but it is still, there's more to come. It gets even better. And then look at the third bullet point. God's kingdom involves this intermediate state of faith. God's kingdom, so when we're talking about belonging to God's realm, God's kingdom in this present moment, we recognize that faith is a part of the equation. Now, you need to just kind of look up here and, and, and really listen carefully to this. When we get to heaven, there'll be no more need for faith. No more need for faith. Why? Because we will see him as he is. We will be face to face with all of his plan. Right now, we live under the veil of time and space, and we live with the flesh, that we may be saved through the great work of Christ and coming to trust in Jesus, but we're still dealing with the flesh. And so we walk by faith 
growing in sanctification. We walk by faith growing in holiness. That is God's plan for true Christians. If you're not growing in holiness, you need to evaluate whether or not you're a Christian. If you're just stagnant, always the same, not growing in love for God, not growing in devotion to God, not growing in consistency in your faith and walk with God, you need to evaluate. You need to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. We should be growing Christians. No matter how old you are, you should be growing as a Christian. So we are walking by faith now, but... There comes a moment when faith is finished, and we will finally be with him. And all of the things of Revelation chapter 21 and Revelation chapter 22 will then be in full swing as the intermediate state of faith is finished. Notice, this is what we're headed toward, and this is where, we're, where it's going to. God's kingdom will be, fill it in, consummated in the final state. Um, just as a, as a couple consummate their marriage, they come together and the marriage is made um, complete and, and the marriage is, is consummated. That is exactly the idea that God is, has in store for the true church of Christ with Christ, that we will finally be brought together and there will no longer be this veil of time and space and sin and flesh in the equation. We will have new bodies that will not sin. We will have a new mindset. The old things will have passed away. The death and the pain and the sorrow and the sickness that comes from sin will be finished. And so we're not there yet. There's just a little while, and that's, that's where we see the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's until we come to the end things. And I want us to see the power that brings that about. And it's, all, it's part of the already and not yet. Look and see that Christ's death on the cross breaks Satan's power. Christ's death on the cross breaks Satan's power. Now, I want you to see the context of where the passages that were led to on this. And I think that you'll find this very encouraging. We're going to see in just a moment that everything rises and falls on whether or not you're in the kingdom of, of God or whether you're in the kingdom of Satan based upon what happens in very close proximity to Palm Sunday. And uh, notice with me, and this is where I said, this is, this is our Palm Sunday passage. This is the passage that describes Jesus' triumphal entry. And let's remember a little bit of context here. John chapter 8, the triumphal entry to Jerusalem. This is Palm Sunday. And this is, note it and write it down, or, or this is not on your outline, but you need to see it. It's on the screen. This is the week after. I want you to understand the context of what we're about to read. This is the week after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So just kind of imagine this. For those of you who don't know, one of Jesus' very close friends, somebody that Jesus loved, became sick. And people came to him and said, hey, come because your friend Lazarus is sick. And Jesus did not come right away because Jesus had a plan. And so eventually when Jesus did come, Lazarus had died. And here we see Mary and Martha meeting Jesus and saying, if you'd come, he wouldn't have died because they knew what he could do. He could heal the one who was sick and on, the, on death's door. But he died and he was wrapped up, as Enrique uh, read during his sermon, he was wrapped up and he was placed in the tomb. And he, is the, he was there for days by the time Jesus got there. So Lazarus was dead, dead. And there he is and Jesus stands outside the tomb and says, open the tomb. The men roll back the stone. They open the tomb. And as a precursor, as a beautiful precursor, listen to this, of what is going to happen in just about two weeks, Lazarus is raised from the dead as a precursor to what is, what is going to happen with Jesus. So it, in, in, his, in his grand and glorious plan, Jesus is showing the disciples and those that are around him who are following him death and resurrection. 
And so Jesus goes before that tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And a mummy shuffles out there to the front. And everybody is absolutely astounded. And so I, I, we, we just want to look and see. This, that's what happened just before Jesus comes into Jerusalem. But notice this. This Palm Sunday that we're reading about right next is this. Is that this is the week before Passover. And what is going to happen at Passover? Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, on the day of atonement, Jesus is going to be crucified for our sins. So the Lamb of God, the true Lamb of God, is going to show up on the scene, and he won't be crucified in the temple. His, his throat will not be cut like the, like the sheep, um, the lamb that is there inside the temple. But instead, this lamb is going to be crucified on a cross just outside the city walls. And at the very hour that Jesus gives up the ghost for those whom he is, his sin is going to atone, at the very hour that he's giving up the ghost, the sacrificial lamb in the temple is being slain. And so we see in this the great position and the importance of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And they're hailing him as a king that they don't yet realize what true king he is. Look at John chapter 8 and verse... Uh, oh, and by the way, it is not John 8, it is John 12. So you need to mark out John 8, 39, that's a typo that is there, and instead write John 12, 12 through 36. Um, so notice this. In verse 12, it says, John 12 and verse 12. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast, to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Verse 13. So they took, what does it say they took? branches of palm trees, and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So they're looking for an earthly king that would truly deliver them, but didn't quite understand what kind of king he actually was. In verse 14, and Jesus found a young donkey, <laughs> a beast of burden. Humility is represented in a donkey. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. For as it is written, and this comes from Zechariah 9, 9, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So a young donkey. Look at verse 16. And Jesus did not understand, excuse me, and his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb raised him from the, and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So all these people that had just seen Lazarus raised from the dead... They are running around Jerusalem saying, hey, this guy who just came in on the donkey, didn't quite know what that's about, but this guy who just came in on the donkey, he raised a dude from the dead last week. You're not going to believe it. So they're all talking about that. There's lots of people talking about that. That wasn't done in private. There was a bunch of people there that saw that. And then look what it says in verse 18. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. Verse 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing? Look, the world has gone after him. They're looking at each other going, man, we're getting left in the dust. Everybody's interested in Jesus and not following us. And they're, using, they're speaking um, in a little bit of hyperbole. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Now we skip down to verse 27. Notice what it says in 27. Jesus is speaking during that week, and he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So this is Jesus' prayer to the Father in front of the disciples. And then listen to this. Then a, voice from then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. In verse 29, the crowd stood there and heard, it, and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Verse 30, Jesus answered, 
This voice has come for your sake, not mine. And here it is. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now listen to this. You see, Jesus' death on the cross is when the ruler of this world will be broken. Jesus' death on the cross in perfect obedience to the Father is what God uses to break Satan's power. Because Jesus would go to the cross and die on the cross on this week after Palm Sunday, that is where the victory for life comes. And Jesus says it, and when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself, verse 33. And he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die, being lifted up. Verse 34, so the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? I love this. Look at verse 35. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you, let's read verse 36 out loud together. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. My friends, this is the great power that we are invited to come and join. This is the great redemption of God that Jesus says to them. He says, I am the light of the world. And they didn't yet understand what was going to happen, but he's saying, I am going to the cross. I am going to be lifted up. As the Messiah, I'm not going to come and, and set you free from earthly kingdoms. I am going to come and set you free from a much bigger kingdom. I'm going to come and set you free from the kingdom of the evil one, of sin and death. And so this is where we see the true gospel and the true picture of why Jesus would come and die. That it goes so far beyond an earthly kingdom. So look at our main passage at the top of the page once again. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And I, I would say this encouragement. Application to your life. Look here at number one. True Christians can know that they are of God's kingdom by faith in Christ's death on the cross for their sins. That's how you can know that you're in God's kingdom. Do you have faith that Christ is the one who forgives you through his death on the cross? That's how you can know. And here's the picture. Rejoice and grow in his kingdom. That's what John wants these people to do who are reading his letter. He wants you to rejoice and grow in his kingdom. The other thing that we see throughout all of this is that true Christians are called to, what's the last part there? Reject Satan's kingdom. And at the bottom of the front page where we looked at James 4.4, that's, that's what James was calling the church to do too. Don't act like the world. Don't love the world. If anyone loves the world, he's not in God's kingdom. We're called to reject the world that is passing away and to embrace the kingdom that is forever. So true Christians can know that they're, God's king, that they're of God's kingdom by faith in Christ's death on the cross. Number two, non-Christians, so that was true Christians, non-Christians are invited to, and we go back to that, that, that last verse that we read, non-Christians are invited to believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. And how do we do that? Fill it in. We repent and believe on Christ the light and be saved from the power of the evil one. This morning, you can be delivered from the this, this satanic evil one who rules over this present darkness. 
His kingdom will be put away. His kingdom will come to an end. But the King of kings and the Lord of lords, his kingdom will never come to an end. And so this morning, may we rejoice that God, through the Apostle John, wants us to know that we are his. And he wants us to be very certain that we're in the kingdom of God and not in the kingdom of the world. Now, friends, if you're in the kingdom of the world, I invite you to repent of your sins and to believe upon Christ. The Bible tells us that he will gloriously transform you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And this morning, I call you to that very thing. Would you stand with me for prayer? Father in heaven, I thank you that your kingdom is seen in the victory found on the cross. The fact that you went to the cross for us. You went to the cross that sinners could be made clean and whole. You went to the cross so that the power of Satan and sickness and sin and sorrow and death would be broken. That the kingdom of Satan would be done away. And the great power of the kingdom of God would reign. And so, Lord, this morning we come before you and we thank you for this word in 1 John. That we may know that we're in your kingdom. Father, I pray for those in this room that have been listening, maybe coming for weeks or maybe just one Sunday, and they would say, I, I'm not sure I'm in the kingdom of God. I've kind of been in the kingdom of the world. But I'm hearing this morning that what it means to follow Christ is to believe that he died for sinners and that he will forgive them and save them. Oh, Father, how I pray that those who have never believed upon Christ, that today, that they would believe upon Christ. Even at this moment, that they would say, Lord, take me. Make me yours. Lord, I've sinned against you, and I need your salvation. I need your cleansing. I need your power. I need your strength. I need your deliverance. Lord, save me from evil and the evil one. Cause me to walk in righteousness. Cause me to walk in this joy that we just read about. Father, I pray that you would do that today. That you would change lives for all of eternity. And Father, I pray that Christians would be encouraged to go on and walk in the kingdom of your beloved Son. That we would leave the kingdom of the world. That we would not dabble in it. That we'd not camp out next to it. That we would run to the glorious safety of our glorious Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.